0: Uh, good afternoon, good day, good morning, uh, wherever you are. Welcome to Not for Attribution, um, the Winnipeg political podcast. Um, this week, uh, we're uh, going to be focusing on probably the single biggest issue of the federal election campaign. We're now in the home stretch. Uh, by the time you you listen to this podcast, there will be somewhere between seventy two and ninety six hours left before we go to the polls, and. Um, uh, it's We wanted to look back at uh, the debate on climate change um, and whether or not um, there's any measurable improvement, movement, cognizance, acknowledgement uh, of the size of the problem and, and really trying to assess whether public policy is sort of uh, closing the gap uh, with uh, political debate. Uh, joining me uh, for this part of uh, this episode is John Iacosa, who is the Executive Director of the Centre for Earth Observation Science at the University of Manitoba. Thanks, John.
1: Yeah, great to be here.
0: And uh, we also have uh, Molly McCracken, the Director of the Manitoba Chapter of the Canadian Centre for Policy Alternatives. Thank you, Molly. Thanks for having me. Thank you. And uh, as per usual, uh, in the the rustic production qualities of our podcast, John and Molly are sharing a microphone, so we will we'll give them a small delay uh, to pass the mic back and forth. Um, okay. So, premise is that climate change achieved um, a new level of uh, notoriety, importance, profile in this election campaign. True or false? Is is that something that you you think is a fair observation? John.
1: Yeah, I think it's a fair observation. It's. Come more to the forefront of people's minds, and, and especially with politics. So, absolutely. Yeah.
2: Yeah, it certainly is becoming uh, more of an, more of an issue as the campaign progresses, as well. I look back on some polling that's had it as the third most important, after cost of living and healthcare. Um, but now, I think, uh, due to the global climate strike and the youth climate movement, it's uh, moving up even more. So, particularly depending on who you talk to in the electorate.
0: So the, the, the tough follow-up question, Molly, though, is, okay, so we, we've reached new levels of, of profile and, no, you know, of, of public debate, so what? Like, it, do, you, do you get the sense, though, that we've accomplished anything that may translate into public policy?
2: Well, I think it all depends uh, what kind of government we have after <laughs> October 21st. Um, you know, there's a projection for a minority government that could be a conservative government or a liberal government with the Greens and the NDP and the bloc holding the balance of power. Um, so it will depend on what they've all, ha- except for the People's Party, um, which is another kettle of fish, have all um, stated uh, climate change policies. Now we could argue about the merits of those policies and whether they'll achieve the Paris accord um, goals or the IPCC uh, targets that were, um, you know, that big report that came out a year ago that said climate change is happening far faster than we expected and the impacts are being going to be felt sooner. Um, so I think it depends what government we have, but it is, I mean, if you want to look at a glass half full, it is promising that all the parties have a position. I think the pessimist in me uh, worries that it's just not enough because we're running out of time.
0: mm mm-hmm. John, it, you, yeah, do you, you, you see any evidence that, I mean, certainly a minority government uh, that requires NDP or uh, green support would certainly um, probably spell a little bit more uh, of an aggressive stance on climate change policy, um, but uh, do, you, do you have any, re- like, do, are you more hopeful in a qualified sense than you've been after federal elections in the past?
1: Um, I am a bit, and I'll kind of add a caveat to that a little bit. Uh, after the last federal election, I was very hopeful um, with the Liberal government and coming you know, with their policies and their ideas for climate change. Now, again, with the idea that it's probably going to be a minority government, so I'm a little more hesitant, uh, of course, if it's going to be in the balance of, with the Green Party or the NDP, a little bit more kind of optimistic view of what's going to happen but it's funny again, that kind of stuck a yeah, bit coming out yeah but, uh, it did know. um but i th- you know it it we need a whole different mindset when it comes to climate change and i think that's really the problem uh with politics and climate change it's not a quick fix there's no real uh easy solution to this problem so having a government that's in power for 5 years or so, especially minority that might not even be in power that long, um, it becomes a, a an issue in terms of how to address the ideas of climate change and adaptation to what we're already seeing and what's being projected. So uh,
0: I can only imagine, John, and we spoke a little bit about this before we started recording, you've just come back from Iceland, mm-hmm. and where you, um, you're you there quite frequently, uh, as I understand it, and in your, your work uh, for the University of Manitoba. Um, The Arctic uh, is, I believe, correctly represented as sort of the bleeding edge of the climate change phenomena. And so you're up there, uh, you've made it your life's work to go up and document and see these things. Um, Is it, uh, when you come back down and listen to the tone of the debate here, um, is it like, can you actually listen to the leaders' debate, climate change? Do you have, you know, are you... Look, you know, Do you have to scream into a pillow while the debates are going on? Sort of, how do you react?
1: Yeah, always. Always scream into the pillow. Um, yeah, you, in 25 years, we've seen a significant change in the Arctic. Um, you're right. It's, it's kind of the forefront of climate change right now. We're seeing the greatest change in that region. So when people are talking about you know, maybe just changing our power source to something else as kind of the solution to climate change, that's not going to help. Um, or it's not going to fix the problem it'll help but it's not going to fix it um, we need a again a, this idea complete change the Arctic isn't a vast a, a void land where nothing lives and you know it's not really important to anything it's key to the south it's key to lower latitudes it's biology people live there so it needs to be addressed um, right away and having clear, concrete ideas in place to address climate change here that will affect the Arctic and everywhere else. Molly, in my first round
0: of questions, I may have created the impression that the public somehow is more enlightened than the politicians. But I know from talking to politicians that one of the biggest problems they have is they are convinced, and I believe rightly so, that if um, if they start talking about the kind of things that we really need to do, they are unelectable. And we do also know from poll results that the public certainly wants something done on climate change, but they haven't given us any indication they're willing to give up anything to get that. They kind of um, are waiting for some sort of mythical, painless solution. Um, what do you think this, the, sort of the state of the, of the electorate is? Are they more enlightened than the, pol- the law and policymakers, or do they still need to go some way to, to really grasp what John is seeing on a, on a daily basis?
2: Well, certainly there are a lot of very enlightened people that are very frustrated at the lack of progress, and I think people were very excited. Uh, some people, when the Liberals were elected and they went to Paris, and it was uh, sounded very promising, um, they introduced the carbon tax, which is, I think, A red herring, there's been too much air taken up with the carbon tax. You know, we need to put a price on pollution, and we need to do so much more than just that. But that takes up a lot of uh, space, that conversation. But then Trudeau turned around and bought a pipeline. And so this is this liberal trying to straddle the middle of doing one thing progressive on one hand, taking action, and then the other, you know, trying to placate, um, you know, the oil industry and, and, and... Alberta. Um, and so that I think was really disappointing to a lot of progressives who wanted to see action and thought liberals would do better. Um, so, you know, I was at the climate rally here, September 27th. Um, there were, you know, People say between 12 and 15,000 people. There were tons of young people. I was um, collecting signatures as part of a group that we're part of called the Climate Action Team, calling on all levels of government to do more. A lot of the young people I spoke to had never been to a rally at all in their lives. They were incredibly concerned. There was one young boy who was, his slogan was, Coral are dying, fish are crying. Mm -hmm. And it was just so heartbreaking. These young people are so concerned about their future. Young people are saying they're now pledging not to have children because they're concerned that there won't be a future for their children. So, you know... There are some very progressive people um, who want to see governments and are pushing them to do more. There's a group called Our Time, which is a group of young people, and they're mobilizing the biggest electoral bloc of millennials to vote in this election and really making it the pivotal issue that you've um, raised that it is. Uh, So I think particularly young people with Greta Thunberg and lots of other young activists are making this an issue and speaking very clearly that, you know, you're stealing our future and adults, as she said, aren't mature enough to act so weak need to uh, become leaders and act Uh, so I hope that's giving courage to the leadership you know um, I work at the Canadian Centre for Policy Alternatives our the previous director of our bc office seth klein worked with abacus to do a poll about what people would want to see for action and the majority did want to see bold action electrification of our public transportation move to renewables 100 percent by 2050 um you know more secure um, food sources for canada Uh, you know we have here in winnipeg one of the oldest housing stocks i live in a leaky home that's over 100 years old like But I can't afford to insulate it all by ourselves. We need some support, and government has a role to play uh, in that, and that's where we want government to step in. And, you know, the parties have all said things in relation to those, um, but we really need bold action, and I think, you know, this movement is just gaining steam, and whoever is elected, they will push. And if I may, just on the last time there was a minority government federally, we did get some really progressive policies in the 60s um, when the NDP held the balance of power and there was a liberal minority government. There was the Canadian pension plan. There was the block funding for um, post-secondary education, uh, auto pack, um reform as well. So minority governments in Canada have previously led to progressive uh, changes and substantial changes. So possibly that could happen here with this big social movement as a push.
0: I'm wondering, um, so John, when I um, go out in public and talk about uh, what I do and how it you know, we're we're attempting to portray or, you know, contribute to the debate over climate change, it's not unusual for me to be confronted by people uh, who, uh, you know, they really are, they're skeptics. But there are two points that get brought up over and over and over again. Um, number one is, like, what in the world can people in Winnipeg, Manitoba, Canada do that makes a meaningful uh, contribution when You know, obviously, there are other jurisdictions around the world that, you know, that do contribute a lot. Um, And uh, the second thing they say is that, you know, that that we at the Free Press do not represent the other side of the debate. And, uh, you know, that's the one um, I have the most trouble with. I'm going to go out on a limb and say that there are some people who maybe don't know exactly what it is you do for a living and occasionally make the same comments in front of you. So given that you're uh, a smarter and be more informed on this, I'm looking for you to give me a talk track so that, you know, I don't have to scream into the pillow. That I So how yeah. do you respond to those two points?
1: Yeah, I think the first point, um, what we can do here, you it's true that when you look at climate change, the individual isn't isn't the biggest pl- polluter or cause of climate change. It's business. So, um, what you do in your everyday life is important. You buy that that product that you need or you want. Do you buy you know a new cell phone because it's cause it's the latest and greatest? But your cell phone is fine, and that will you know your everyday action will. Will affect climate change. You know, we're talking about politics and climate change. Voting is the easiest thing to do, um, and it's the easiest way to address climate change. You vote for for these people to go into power to to deal with the issues and making sure it's a it's at the forefront of of the discussion, and that's key to to addressing climate change, keeping it there. And you know, the these uh, climate protests that have been going on it has been fantastic to to keep keep it in the forefront as opposed to letting it kind of, there's other issues that need to be addressed and that are, you know, in some people's minds just as important. Um, So making sure climate change is is still front and center. In terms of the deniers of climate change and the skeptics, you know, there's evidence that climate change is happening. Um, And it's overwhelming right now that climate change is happening. Um, I don't think I've read any, legitimate paper or anything with with clear facts that would show otherwise. Um, And we've seen it firsthand in the Arctic that this is happening and that's kind of the the harbinger of what could potentially happen in other places. We have an issue with the islands uh, in the east coast of Canada right now that potentially could be wiped out in a few years to decades just because of rising sea level. Um, And that's, you know, local. It's right at home. It's, it's not this far off place that nobody goes to and really nobody's ever or not a lot of people have seen in their life. So um, that's a major, a major thing is I, I address it every day in terms of trying to get the message out about climate change. It's, it's happening. It's, it's great to see these young people being the activists. But my concern is when they're my age doing this job, climate change... May be irreversible, or it might be at that point where okay, we ne- need to stop talking about mitigation and start looking at adaptation. How we adapt to to our climate change. So, you know, not to sound like a spokesman for climate change, but we need action, and it needs to, needs to happen sooner than later.
0: Well, Molly, you, you described a number of initiatives that are focused around um, uh, electoral mobilization, getting mm. um, younger people out to the polls. Um, I think that the it's interesting to me because we we had an event last week at the Winnipeg Art Gallery where this topic came up and we had a pollster on our panel discussing it Um, you know whenever I'm asked to talk to groups of younger people about why they should vote I often make the point that they don't realize how narrow the plurality is in a lot of these individual races and how easy it is to tip the scales and and really change the profile of the House of Commons. But, um, you know, shouldn't we at this point kind of expect some some group of voters to step up and kind of, and as you say, give courage to the leaders that they can be bolder? Because, you know, right now we're looking at an election that by traditional standards, voter turnout should go down. Um, But based on the the other competing theory is, yeah, climate change is a really big deal. It's the biggest, you know, the highest profile it's ever had. Isn't this the election where we should see some evidence that the people who really want a, a more aggressive uh, uh, approach that are coming out to vote and making their presence known?
2: Yeah, certainly. I think, um, well, there was a young woman in Winnipeg whose dying wish is that people vote in this election, and, uh, you know, that's... I mean, amazing that she's got the courage to do that as uh, her last um, effort of activism. And, uh, you know, I was just uh, really blown away by her. I think young people particularly are organizing and mobilizing, and through social media, I hope to see a really great turnout from the millennials. I think another conversation that we need to have here is it will impact Manitobans. We just had this weird Storm last week, and as far as I and maybe you can tell me a little bit more, you know, we ha- had to use the floodway for the first time in recorded history in the fall. We've had an extremely wet. Um, fall here and one of the wettest ones on record and then I know you can't attribute one weather event to climate change but I grew up here I don't remember seeing so much snow on October was it 12th or whatever so that was extremely inconvenient for a lot of people so I think some people you know, are very concerned about the effects of, you know, island nations and the Arctic, but they think, well, we're here in Manitoba, we're in North America, I'm middle class, you know, it might be a little inconveniencing, but it won't affect me. I think we need to have these conversations, you know, I've talked to people in the Vietnam War movement, and they said they talked to every single person everywhere they went about their issue, and that's what we need to do about climate change, because people are busy, they don't really have necessarily time, or they have potentially eco-anxiety and just shut off and don't, Uh, Mm -hmm. you know, it feels too overwhelming, so they just continue about their days. Um, So I think... Um, these movements what they're doing is trying to put it in tangible terms for people and if I could for Manitobans you know I think it can actually improve our quality of life if you spend a really long time in your car getting to A to B that's really frustrating you know good public transit can be a pleasant experience Mm -hmm. if it's built properly Um, and you know livable cities and communities if you can walk places that's better for your quality of life and materialism we have to look at that again maybe it's this kind of of grueling work um, life that we have leads to more consumerism, and it wouldn't be nice to have maybe a four-day work week. We have a little bit more time with our families mm-hmm. for leisure, for arts, and things like that. And these are things that the Green New Deal talks about, along with huge job creation to build this infrastructure that we need, decent jobs, um, and do you know uh, sequestration by planting more trees and natural wetland reclamation. Those are all things that we can do here in Manitoba. So. Um, yeah, I think all, it all comes back to who you're talking to and who's talking to each other in this. And I know people are very concerned and talking about um, strategic voting. I think it's also important to look at what the party platforms are mm-hmm. and um, you know which party also they think will take the most bold action. Um, and then once they're elected, calling them all to account yeah. and keeping them pressure on.
0: So that, that's an interesting point. So I, I think I mentioned to you again prior to starting that I, I think there's a new... Um, type of political posture that's been developed um, where um, there are very few uh, first ministers in this country for example who out and out deny climate change i mean there are some that we can deduce are more skeptical than others but i think that what it's really what we've really uh, created is um, a type of politician and a type of political posture where you can adopt the language like you can acknowledge your concern but then um, you can talk about solutions that are really both ineffective and painless at the same time. Um, you know, yeah, don't worry, uh, we're gonna put, like you mentioned, insulating your house. I think those are great things to be done as part of a broader strategy. Mm-hmm. But I mean, really, that, that's kind of the, the foundation of some of the platforms, programs like that, not, uh, as Elizabeth May has pointed out, nothing to really curb uh, commercial or industrial pollution, nothing to stop overpackaging and, and, you know, the use of non-recyclables. So I guess I'm just wondering if we're like, there's always an evolution. Are we, <laughs> we're evolving through the, it doesn't exist to, yeah, it doesn't, you know, it exists, but we don't really have to do anything to, yeah, we're going to do something, but the things we're doing are not really all that effect? Is this kind of an uh, inevitable, John, an inevitable evolution in public policy?
1: Yeah, I, I hope so. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, to give a nondescript answer, but um, or non-committal answer, the, I think the problem with climate change is the idea has changed over the last few decades. You know, growing up in the 80s, not to date myself, but the idea was global warming, and temperatures are gonna go up and and that's really what climate change was about Now it's about our climate changing and getting warmer, getting wetter or drier. these kind of ideas, but you know to bring back a point that Molly made about the s- snowstorm last week it's we should really be calling this climate variability, and that's really what the problem is going to be extremes, so yeah. extremes getting getting those snowfall e- even the total amount. In Winnipeg might not change year to year, but timing, severity, things like that will. So it's kind of changing this idea of what climate change really means to people, and how that kind of manifests itself into actions that people are going to take. And I think that's part of the problem with climate change in politics, is how are we addressing what climate change is, and defining what it is, because that's really going to affect the policies that are in place. And as I've mentioned, you know the human, the individual is not the biggest uh, creator of climate change. If you like, it's it's industry, it's it's agriculture, it's it's, but which is a product of our way of life. So overpackaging, you know, what we eat, where we get what we eat from, um, growing up, again, uh, having a parents who who grew most of the vegetables are th- themselves and canned them, and now. Why would I when I can buy a watermelon in February in Winnipeg? So it's 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 having that realization of of those of those issues that really have to be addressed in a, in any political uh, action towards climate change. So one of the
0: great things about uh, podcasts is that um, you don't have to run for election to be part of our podcast, right? <laughs> so uh, and actually, you know, nobody even encouraged me to do this, so um the uh so but it, it, when we talk about uh effective public policy uh, a, a policy that doesn't exceed what we need now but maybe that more closely matches the severity of the threat so what, so let's let's put together the, the 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 perfect climate change platform for a party um you know cuz i think yeah molly your your observation about carbon taxes i think most of us realize now that it's maybe you know a price on on gasoline a higher price on gasoline is part of a much broader approach but it's certainly not certain and also when you just give the money back to people it you know it it's it's pretty useless uh so okay so where do we start what would be uh the number 1 to whatever five uh top things that we could build into a like a truly uh effective public policy approach on climate change that meets the severity of the threat right now john who <laughs> great
1: um and, and don't be surprised yeah. if someone
0: comes asking you to run for office yeah after this hopefully not right?
1: um oh that's a tough one you know i think we need to put policies in place that help us to address the way. We're we're understanding climate change at the individual level, even though the individual isn't the biggest creator. Based on a single person, but really have policies in place that address overpackaging and and consumerism. However, we do that. Uh, you can't tell people not to not to buy things, or but really put a tax on those kind of things, or maybe not a tax isn't the best word to use, but a price on you know. Purchasing items that um, maybe can be fixed, or instead of replacing. Um, so if and, if,
0: if you if it's a consumer package good that is over packaged or can, you know is is reliant upon non recyclable materials, there's a cost to that.
1: Absolutely. Levy, yeah. Yep. Or or you could look at the other way of of giving incentives, incentives to people or companies that use recycled material more. Um, and also just, you know, thinking about the way we're living and what we need and, and is it cheaper to go buy something new, go buy a new washing machine as to fix the old one we have Mm -hmm. and what happens to that old one once we, once we replace it, uh, which we'll eventually need to do. So it's, it's a lot cheaper now to, to get a new cell phone than it is to repair the cell phone you have. And so that's kind of, I think would have to be built into this. Reduce is addressing consumerism somehow.
0: Carr- carrots and sticks on uh, Absolutely. consumer package goods and other yep. consumer items. Absolutely. Okay, Molly. What about what, what's uh, what would you add to that plank?
2: Well, I think we need to change the incentives and stop subsidizing fossil fuel industries, um which you know some of the parties have agreed to. I believe uh, the NDP and the greens have said they do that um and I would say a ban on that type of packaging. I would go one farther than you potentially john so uh, because um yeah, I think we need this is an emergency, and I think on that note, um this is what the youth are telling us. We need to stop acting like, oh, you know, like I know you're going to be talking to Rochelle Squires, which is great. And she announced a youth advisory committee on the day of the climate strike, and they don't want to have another advisory committee of the youth I've talked to. They want action now. And so, um, you know, action now would be treating this like a world war. And in a world war, you know, people put down their differences and roll up their sleeves and get to work. And in the Second World War, there were 28 crown corporations uh, created. And C.D. Howe was the minister of everything. And he, you know, Canada built a huge amount of um, materials and armaments and, uh, you know, I don't, I'm not a big fan of war, obviously, but um, it was mobilization. a mobilization at the scale that was needed. And that's what we need here. We need to um, have as our carrot to get people out of their cars very high quality, affordable, or even free public transportation, uh, way better urban planning um, mm-hmm. so that people have high quality of life and live close to where they work or learn or play. And, um, you know, I'm part of a group of um, NGOs uh, that have called the Climate Action Team. So we talk about it in terms of food, shelter, and transportation. And so we need to be able to feed ourselves without reliance on synthetic fertilizers and have more local foods. Um, Shelter, we need to be able to heat our homes and our businesses, schools, everything else without reliance on natural gas, which is most of the natural gas uh, is what's used here in in Winnipeg at least. And we still have some communities up north that rely on diesel, uh, which is very dirty fuel. um, so we need to have a huge effort, which would create lots of great jobs. And there's some really great social enterprises like build and purpose construction that help people. You can have a win-win on many levels, like um, reduce recidivism from jail by retraining people and giving them a purposeful um, livelihood by um, fixing up houses, and that's what BUILD does with Manitoba Housing. And then, you know, I mentioned transportation. So those are our three, food, shelter, and transportation, and that's what we're doing is an alternative climate plan with community groups to really call on the province and the city of Winnipeg uh, to do much more than they're already doing on, on climate.
0: So the uh, wow that captures a lot of stuff. This is that that almost filled out the rest of the platform right there. John, is there anything else that you would add to the uh, to our new and improved, uh, truly effective meets the size of the problem, platform on climate change?
1: Yeah, I think I would add. You know, as an educator, I would say education has to be part of it. We have to talk about, we have to use the terms to define the same things, and we need to tell people or have educate people in in you know, that diesel is a dirty, dirtier fossil fuel to use. And, you know, if you have to use a fossil fuel, then choose a cleaner one, and these are the options. Or this is how you can convert your home into something more energy efficient, more, uh, less of a polluter. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, that that packaging that you're recycling, that energy is still going into recycling. So maybe that's not the best option. It's reducing rather than recycling. Just those kind of ideas, just educating people and, and having par- that as part of the part of the platform, if you like, yeah. is that.
2: And if I may, making it easier for people to make those good choices. And we talk about creating a culture um, and celebrating that culture and, you know, sharing ideas of how we can get together. And then also people need the time. If people are really pinched for time, it it's hard to grow your own garden so can we have community gardens or you know what's the potential for greenhouses here in manitoba to have a a higher scale or a bigger scale response to local food than than this so yeah Mm -hmm. i think we need to on the individual on the community scale city province we need to think of this you know it's system change not climate change that we're working towards
0: excellent well um check that off my list we've 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 created the perfect uh, campaign platform. I'm going to get this out to all the parties right away. Well, uh, I mean, there's know. more. Also, yeah. people
2: look at getting corporate money out of politics, yeah. um, about electoral reform and proportional mm-hmm. representation. These are some of the things: truth and reconciliation, and how our land is used. And yeah. you know, um, I've been uh, going to meetings, and lots of indigenous leaders are talking about this as a relation to to our land and um, capitalism and reliance on fossil fuels has been part of the cultural genocide that Indigenous people, mm-hmm. and particularly you were at ground zero for that with murdered and missing Indigenous women here. So working in partnership with our Indigenous leadership to ask them what you know this change will look like and following their leadership is really important in that area.
0: Thank you. Um, Molly McCracken, the uh, Manitoba Director of the Canadian Centre for Policy Alternatives and John Ayakoza, the Director of the Centre for Earth Observation Science at the University of Manitoba. Thank you very much for your time. And uh, in four years' time, when there's another election, we will touch base and see if anybody managed to get up to speed with where we are on climate change policy. Thank you very much again.
1: Thank you. Thank you.
0: Good day. I'm, I'm with uh, Sustainable Development Minister Rochelle Squires in her office at the Manitoba Legislature. Thank you, uh, Minister Squires, for joining us on uh, Not for Attribution.
3: Thank you so much, Dan, for having me on your podcast and really looking forward to this dialogue.
0: That's great. Uh, now, um in general, we like we want to talk about climate change. the The theme for the entire episode is going to be climate change and public policy, and we're looking at the gap between political de- debate and public policy and perhaps uh, public expectations. So um, there was uh, recently a pretty big protest on the st- steps of the legislature and you may- there was an announcement made on the same day, which I want to get to. Now, you were not able to attend that meeting. Were you able to actually see it?
3: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. I think all Winnipegers and Manitobans <clears throat> heard about the amazing uh, Day of Action on climate change and were inspired.
0: So uh, I'm going to... Uh, try to capture the uh, uh, the spirit of that event and sort of say that the the youth that showed up, uh, and this is not just a commentary on the provincial government, but on all government, are just not satisfied that uh, uh, policy is uh, meeting expectations or, more appropriately, that we're not delivering policies that are commensurate with the, the size of the threat. Um, Would you you sort of acknowledge that there is a gap between policy and the the threat?
3: I would challenge everyone to read about what Manitoba is doing to mitigate and adapt um, for climate change and how the Manitoba government is moving forward in um, the low-carbon future. What we're doing, the targets that we've set, the way that we're going to reduce our carbon footprint in the province of Manitoba, the way that we've engaged sectors and industries to all be part of the, the conversation, what we're doing on waste. We know that the waste stream is one of the largest sources of carbon uh, pollution in the province of Manitoba, and and there are some really exciting initiatives underway. And so I would encourage everyone to become informed about some of the activities and become uh, part of the solution as we're moving forward to adapt to climate change.
0: So again, I'll just sort of, because I think that one of the difficult things for all of us to sort of get our mind around is What targets are we going to try and meet? Are those the right targets? Um, You know, uh, what happens if we meet our targets and other people, other jurisdictions don't? Do you think the policy that the Manitoba government is delivering is commensurate with the size of the threat? and, And more importantly... Do you think that what you're doing is meeting the expectations of the 12,000 or so youth uh, and others who, who came here?
3: So targets is a really interesting uh, conversation. And we've seen governments in the past set targets uh, well into the distance uh, on the horizon and uh, know, knowing full well that they're not going to be around to be accountable for those targets. And we know that setting targets in the distant future is obviously... Um, uh, something that we must do, but we also need to look at a day-to-day, year-to-year basis. What are we doing today to adapt and mitigate and uh, transition to that low-carbon future? What are we doing to um, uh, reasonably set targets that we can be held to account for? What, what can we do so that in one year from now, you can look and see, are we moving in the right direction? And if we're not, how we can uh, make changes and uh, accelerate our ambition for carbon emission reductions, and that's why we established the the carbon savings account. So we're looking at it on an annual basis with a large reporting cycle every five years. Five years is not that long uh, to to really look at. Our, our first uh, end of our first five year phase is 2022, and we've set a really ambitious target of reducing one megaton. Now, putting that in the Manitoba perspective, that's almost one twentieth of our carbon. Emission profile, and if you look at other jurisdictions i don 't see any other jurisdictions in in Canada saying we go, um, uh, 're going to go we 're going to reduce our carbon by that much. Manitoba has a very clean electric grid we don 't have that low hanging fruit that some other jurisdictions have we 've already switched off coal in the province of manitoba we don 't have any coal um, burning uh, sources of energy uh, ongoing in the province, and so the low hanging fruit is already. Um, uh, been picked, so we're going after the big things.
0: So uh, the the frustration that might have been expressed at that uh, protest um, uh, is it because they don't uh, the people there don't know the minutia of the Manitoba plan? Because uh, I, I I think one other complicating factor was that you know this was a government that spent two years promoting a uh, a carbon tax as part of its green plan. Then withdrew that plan. Then started fighting the carbon tax. And at the very least, like I don't want to get into the tall grass of, of that decision, but at the very least, that sends a, that sends a, a message that Manitoba is sort of more like Alberta and Ontario uh, than uh, perhaps the the image that you that the progressive conservatives tried to portray during the election.
3: One of the things that I'm very concerned about is uh, misinformation about action on climate change and I think we need to be really clear and and communicate what it is that we're doing and and I'll admit that there are a lot of people that don't know the work that we're doing whether it be the work on the carbon savings account whether the fact that we put it in legislation that we have to meet our targets and uh, a path for meeting those targets in legislation a lot of people don't know about that and a lot of people don't know about the other things that we're doing for adapting to a low carbon future helping all Manitobans uh, come with us on that on that journey to the low carbon future, and so moving forward and getting some of that information out is is uh, one of the goals that that we have. So during the
0: election, um, you uh, predominantly were the the spokesperson for your party on climate and, and green policies. So there was a number of interesting things brought up there. There was uh, actually quite an ambitious plan on uh, refuse and recycling and the extension of organic recycling. Um, which is has been kind of the great white whale of the, of the recycling debate here in Manitoba. Um, uh, there was home retrofit money. Um, I mean, these things, uh, I, I don't know that they got a lot of attention during the campaign itself, but those of us who uh, waste a predominant amount of our time reading government budgets know, like these are actually very complex and expensive things and require deals with municipalities and whatnot. So how quickly... Um, could you move on these things? Because I think that uh, you know maybe some of the people that gathered on the steps of the legislature would begin to see the government differently if these policies were introduced right away.
3: Absolutely, and you'll see in our 100-day action plan, we did um, lay out a path for eliminating plastic bags. We know the plastic bags, 160 million of them are going into Brady Landfill every year. It is a huge source of carbon in creating these bags and then getting rid of the bags. And there is no... Uh, responsible end-of-life use for these plastic bags. And so while we can say in Manitoba we have bent the curve from about 240 million plastic bags down to 160 million, I say 160 million is still 162 million blowing in the wind and at Brady Landfill and worse, getting in our watersheds. And so moving forward aggressively on that initiative is something that um, I know a lot of Manitobans mm-hmm. are really excited so, about.
0: So, maybe get just because uh, it, it's a good in, and instructive uh, case. Uh, so, uh, what is the pathway? Um, because, like, except for a few jurisdictions around the world, mostly it's been through encouraging um, retailers, consumer packaged mm-hmm. goods companies. To change their policies uh, for for plastic bags, are we ultimately talking about a complete ban on plastic bags uh, and and with legislative authority?
3: So we we know that it's going to take a lot of uh, approaches to actually get where we need to go with the whole zero, um, zero plastic waste and keeping all plastics in the circular economy. That's why the province of Manitoba signed on to the federal uh, the the. Federal Framework for Zero uh, Plastic Waste, uh, that charter, and working to change um, uh, standards and, and guidelines for how we package our goods, that's a part of it. And But when it comes to the single-use plastic bags, right now we are having uh, a... a lengthy uh consultation with uh some consumer groups we've met with the retail council they're in support of a variety of methods uh, and would be supportive of a um a ban for the lack of a better word and so we're by
0: law yeah
3: so we're we're looking at those options and wanting to ensure that we are moving forward in a way that's um uh, that manitobans can Uh, be part of the solution. We know that legislation is a piece, but we also have to have cooperation.
0: So can we look forward to um, uh, an elimination of plastic bags, let's say, by the end of the current term?
3: We know that there are some cases where those plastic bags need to be, um, for safety reasons, used. So so a complete elimination is a lofty goal. We're going to see um, a, a way in which we can get rid of all those single-use plastic bags that are... Um, not required, that uh, have alt- uh, alternatives, eliminating that by, uh, I would suggest that your your timeline is pretty accurate.
0: Okay. In terms of low-hanging fruit, uh, there was more discussion about it, I think, um, uh, from the governing party before the election, actually before the carbon tax was pulled off the table, but the electrification of of Winnipeg Transit is certainly, I think everybody acknowledges that's potentially, uh, uh, it is low-hanging fruit for Manitoba. So uh, that is a um, nine-figure uh, bite. There's no doubt about it. It's a, it's a big, uh, big program. Is that um, on the radar uh, for Manitoba right now? I know it was more being discussed in the context of revenues from the carbon tax. Now that that's not really going to happen, A, do you want to do it? B, can you do it? And if you can do it, uh, how quickly can we see some actual... Uh, policy and maybe some some dollars?
3: So the electrification of transit is, is a priority. Um, you've, you've heard our government talk about it. We have had conversations with municipalities, Brandon, uh, Winnipeg, and other jurisdictions on how we can move forward with active transportation and uh, transportation that makes sense for people that is shrinking the carbon footprint. That is what our goal is. We know transportation is a huge uh, component of our carbon profile, and so we have to m- move on that. And so conversations are ongoing. Uh,
0: with the actual municipalities, or is this – are we at a stage now where you're you're trying to get a handle on uh, a proposal and how big a part will the province – I mean, obviously, a federal government, uh, whichever federal government uh, we're left with, is probably going to have to be a partner. And in fact, that's sort of an interesting um, – uh, scenario, because I think we're, we're we have uh, two radically different options uh, as far as climate and green policy is concerned. With a conservative party that that maybe might not be as aggressive, and a liberal party that might need to be more aggressive because they're going to need support from others in in the House of Commons. Uh, um, is are you accepting that Manitoba has to be the catalyst for getting this done uh, as sort of the the you know one of the levels of government, but chiefly responsible for Manitoba climate policy
3: Manitoba has been a leader since our government has uh, since we formed government in in uh, solutions on climate change we had a, a an amazing climate and green plan that even our federal counterparts had acknowledged was one of the best green plans in the in the country and we have um, we've taken a lot of bold steps here in the province of Manitoba on climate adaptation and mitigation and you'll continue to see us do that
0: Okay. And on the electrification of buses, is that like a beyond this term, way in the future kind of thing? Because that, that really is like a, not only a big ticket item, but it's also an, one of the most impactful things that any level of government could do here. Um, I think it, it's also become one of those issues, again, that the people who came to the legislature want to see something done on the electrification of and expansion, quite frankly, of Winnipeg Transit. And how how long... Could, you, could your government wait and not do something on that one file and still maintain some credibility on climate well, change?
3: Well, I think our government has credibility uh, on climate change, and when you look at, at the uh, sequence of actions that we have taken to date and the things that we are on the cusp of doing and that we are going to continue to do, people will see how our government is serious about recognizing the the, um, the crisis that we're in with the climate change and how we're moving forward in a way that Manitobans can feel uh, good about themselves in the sense that we're, we're going to be passing on the earth to the next generation and leaving it better than what we fa- how we found it and so all the activities that um, w- go along with that electrification of transit is a huge part of that it is something that um, looking forward to working with my federal counterpart after Monday I'm, I'm certain I'll find out in short order who my federal counterpart is and whoever that person is I'm excited to develop a good working relationship with that person and finding ways that we can work work along with the city of Winnipeg and the federal government and getting strong action on uh, these initiatives.
0: Minister Rochelle Squires, the Minister of Sustainable Development, thank you very much for joining me today and um, best of luck on your initiatives in the future.
3: Thank you very much, Dan.